So this class is a continuation of a series of class that we're doing at our, on our Wednesday evening Bible class at Book Road. And last week we looked at the lion, and then tonight we have the ox, and then that will be followed by the eagle and the man. Well, when we look at the ox in Scripture, we learn from Proverbs chapter 14, verse 4, that much increase is by the strength of the ox. So this, this animal is used for hard labor because of its strength. And so we find all through scripture, employed in agriculture, treading out the corn and plowing the field. Now I grew up on a farm, but I never plowed the field with an ox. We use tractors now, but the plow is one of the hardest pieces of tillage to pull through the ground. Dirt is heavy. And anyone who tried to dig a hole with a shovel would know that. And when you plow, you're basically taking a cut of dirt four inches deep and 18 inches wide, and you're turning it over. That's hard work. And you have to do that all the way down the field, and that's just one furrow. But the ox, because of the way it's built, doesn't mind pulling a plow behind it because of its strength. And so we read in Proverbs, much increase is by the strength of the ox. Also, we find Elisha in 1 Kings 19, verse 19, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. The ox, then, is the animal of choice for hard labor like that. So the ox, brothers and sisters, spends most of its life with a yoke around its neck, pulling a plow. Because that's what it's designed to do, work. And it does it willingly. In Job chapter 39, Job chapter 39, verse 9 to 12, the ox is known for its willingness to serve where it's contrasted here with the wild ox, or the unicorn. It says there, Job 39, verse 9 to 12, Will the ox, sorry, will the wild ox be willing to serve or abide in thy crib? Now here in this passage, it's talking about the wild ox, but that implies that the ox, the domesticated one, not the wild one, is willing to serve. In Isaiah chapter 1, we learn that the ox knoweth his owner. In Isaiah chapter 1, in the context of Israel being rebellious, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2 to 3 says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord hath spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knoweth his owner. And the ass is master's crib, but Israel doth not know. My people doth not consider. The ox knoweth his owner. So the ox is loyal. The ox is also used for sacrifice. In Leviticus chapter 1 verse 5, for the burnt offering. Leviticus chapter 4 verse 4, for the sin offering. 
and Leviticus chapter 4, verse 10 for the peace offering. And so the other aspect of the ox is it's known for the spirit of sacrifice. So this is what the ox symbolizes all through scripture. It's capable of hard labor because of its strength. It's willing to serve, loyal, and is used in agriculture, and is also used for sacrifice. So we find that the ox in the tribe of Ephraim on the west. We learn from Numbers chapter 1, if you want to turn to Numbers chapter 1. Numbers chapter 1, verse 52. And the children of Israel shall pitch their tents, every man by his own camp, and every man by his own standard. In Numbers chapter 2, verse 2. Every man of the children of Israel shall pitch by his own standard, with the ensign of their father's house. And then down at verse 18. On the west side shall be the standard of the camp of Ephraim, according to their armies. And verse 20, and by him shall be the tribe of Manasseh. And verse 22, then the tribe of Benjamin. And then in verse 24, we have Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin collectively. Verse 24, all that were numbered of the camp of Ephraim were 100,000 and 8,000 and 100 throughout their armies and they shall go forward in the third rank. So the camp of Ephraim was made up of Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin. But what was the standard of the camp of Ephraim in the verse 18? Well, we can see from other passages in the Bible that the tribe of Ephraim is related to the ox. In Hosea chapter 10, verse 11, it tells us Ephraim is an heifer that is taught and loveth to tread out the corn. So the symbol of the ox is taken up in the story of the tribe of Ephraim. Now, there's no chapter and verse that tells us that the standard or the flag that they held had a symbol of an ox on it. But what we know from other passages in scripture is that this symbol of the ox is all over in the tribe of Ephraim. So we would say that the symbol of the ox is related to Ephraim on the west side. Come with me to number or sorry to Genesis chapter 49. Because Ephraim is the son of Joseph. And here in Genesis chapter 49 Verse 22, Jacob says this concerning Joseph. Joseph is a fruitful bough, even a fruitful bough by a well, whose branches run over the wall. So we have this idea of fruitfulness, which has everything to do with the symbol of the ox, because the ox is employed in agriculture. The fruitfulness aspect even extends into the life of Ephraim, because Ephraim, Ephraim's name means double fruit. Just keep your hand here and turn back a few pages to Genesis chapter 41. Genesis chapter 41, verse 52. And the name of the second called he Ephraim. 
For God hath caused me, this is Joseph talking, to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. And verse 55, when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said unto the Egyptians, go to Joseph. Where else would you go, brothers and sisters? Verse 57, all the countries came to Joseph to buy corn. Fruitfulness in agriculture is all over in the life of Joseph. But there's more in chapter four, Genesis chapter 49 with Joseph. Genesis 49 verse 23 says, The archers have sorely grieved him and shot at him and hated him. But his bow abode in strength, and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From thence is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. And then it says this at the end of verse 26. They shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him that was separate from his brethren. And we know, don't we, brothers and sisters, that Joseph was forcibly separated from his brethren in, in uh, Genesis chapter 37. When he was lifted out of the pit and sold and brought into Egypt. And in Psalm 105, we have a little commentary on this part of Joseph's life. Listen to the little extra detail we get from Psalm 105, verse 17. It says, He sent a man before him, even Joseph, who was sold for a servant, whose feet they hurt with fetters, he was laid in iron. So the way Joseph was separated from his brethren was he was sold for a servant. And here's another characteristic of the ox, a servant found in the life of Joseph. But also continuing into the um, tribe of Ephraim, his son. In Deuteronomy chapter 33, the symbol of the ox appears again in the life of Joseph, but also mentions Ephraim here as well. Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 13 to 17. And of Joseph he said, Blessed of the Lord be his land for the precious things of heaven, for the dew and for the deep that coucheth beneath, and for the precious fruits brought forth by the sun, and for the precious things put forth by the moon and for the chief things of the ancient mountains, and for the precious things of the lasting hills, and for the precious things of the earth and fullness thereof, and for the goodwill of him that dwelt in the bush. Let the blessing come upon the head of Joseph and upon the head of him that was separated from his brethren. His glory is like the firstling of his bullock, and his horns are like the horns of unicorns. With them he shall push the people together to the ends of the earth. And they are the ten thousands of Ephraim, and they are the ten thousands, or sorry, the thousands of Manasseh. So in this passage, we see symbols of the ox all over, relating to Joseph, Ephraim, and Manasseh. Blessed, be the, blessed of the Lord be his land, in verse 13. 
Verse 14, and for the precious fruits brought forth by the sun, and for the precious things put forth by the moon. Again, that's agriculture language. The ox is used to work the land so you can plant the seed and wait for the precious fruits to be brought forth by the sun. And then we see that same phrase that we saw in the other passage in verse 16, him that was separated from his brethren. And we're reminded again how he was sold for a servant. And of course, verse 17, the symbol of the ox in the tribe of Ephraim. In Ezekiel chapter 1, Ezekiel's vision of the four faces of the cherubim. It says this in verse 10. Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 10. As for the likeness of their faces, they four had the face of a man and the face of a lion on the right side. And they four had the face of an ox on the left side. And they four also had the face of an eagle. So if we read that the left side, if we read the left side to mean the west side, we would use that verse as proof to show that this cherubim face of the ox relates to the tribe of Ephraim on the west. And again, there really is no chapter and verse that specifically says that, but this is what we need to do. We need to take all these passages and put the puzzle together ourselves and use scripture to interpret scripture. In the book, Elpis Israel by brother John Thomas, he has a nice little section on the faces of the cherubim on page 148 to 154. And those page numbers might be different in your version. I have the 14th edition of that of Elpis Israel, but the, the section is entitled, I believe it's the cherubim or the faces of the cherubim. And he shows how these faces of the cherubim are manifestations of God's character. So I'd like to read a section starting on page 150, the second paragraph down. He says this, Now by attending to what is affirmed of them in another, another place, we shall see who are represented by the four cherubim of Ezekiel with four faces each and their wheels and the four of John with one different face each and 24 typical elders. It is written that they fell down before the lamb having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors which are, or represent, the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by, the, by thy blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on earth. From this, it is evident that the cherubim represent the aggregate of those redeemed from the nations in their resurrection state. The lamb, the four cherubs, and the 24 elders 
are a symbolic representation of what is expressed by the phrase, them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus called saints. That is, those who have been constituted the righteousness of God in Christ in a glorified state. The cherubim are the federal symbol and the eyes representative of the individuals constituted in him who is signified by the cherubim. The lamb is introduced to represent the relationship between the holy eyes or saints and the cherubic faces that is between them and the Lord Jesus. While the 24 elders are indicative of their constitution as the Israel of God, there are 24 because the Israelitish commonwealth is arranged with the 12 sons of Jacob as its gates. And with the 12 apostles of the Lamb as its foundations, the former being the entrance into present life of fleshly tribes or subjects, and the latter the foundations of the adopted tribes or heirs of the kingdom. So that 24 is the representative constitutional number of the spiritual Israel of God. For without the natural, the spiritual could not be. Any more than there could be adopted Americans if there was no American nation. But the Mosaic cherubim were deficient of several of the characteristics which distinguished those of Ezekiel and John. They had simply the wings and the faces his cherubim were not only a beaten gold continuous with the substance of the mercy seat, but they were embroidered into the veil made of blue, purple, and scarlet, and fine twine linen, which divided the holy and the holiest places of the tabernacle. Now when Jesus cried with a loud voice, he expired, and the veil of the temple was rent from top to bottom. Thus we see the breaking of the body of Jesus identified with the rending of the Carabic veil, thereby indicating that the latter was representative of the Lord. We have arrived then at this, that the Mosaic Carabim were symbolical of God manifest in the flesh. We wish now to ascertain upon what principles his incarnate manifestation was represented by the Carabims. First then, in the solution of this interesting problem, I remarked that the scriptures speak of God after the following manner. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Again, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And thirdly, our God is a consuming fire. In these three texts, which are only a sample of many others, we perceive that God is represented by light spirit, and fire. When, therefore, he is symbolized as manifest in the flesh, it becomes necessary to select certain signs representative of light, spirit, and fire, derived from the animal kingdom. Now, the ancients selected the lion, the ox, and the eagle for this purpose, probably from tradition of the signification of these animals or the faces of them in the original cherubim. They are called God's faces because his omniscience, purity, and jealousy are expressed in them. But the omniscient, jealous, and incorruptible God was to be manifested in the particular kind of flesh. Hence, it was necessary to add a fourth face to show in what nature he would show himself.
For this reason, the human face was associated with the lion, the ox, and the eagle. These four faces united in one human shape, formed out of beaten gold, and two such not separate and distinct symbols, but standing one on each end of the mercy seat, and the same in continuity and substance with it, taken as a whole, represented Jesus, the true blood-sprinkled mercy seat, or propitiatory, in whom dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. All four faces were to look upon the mercy seat, so as to behold the sprinkled blood of the yearly sacrifice. To accomplish this, two cherubs were necessary, so that the lion and the ox faces of one and the man and the eagle faces of the other should be mercy seatward. It will be from this view of things how important a place of cherubim occupied in the worship of God, connected with the representation of the truth, they were not objects of adoration, but symbols representing to the mind of an intelligent believer the seed of the woman as God manifested in likeness of sinful flesh. So, brothers and sisters, these faces of the cherubim are manifestations of God's character. And we see them all the way back at the beginning in the Garden of Eden. Genesis 3, verse 24 says, He placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims to keep the way of the tree of life. Now just come with me to our reading in Numbers chapter 24. Numbers 24, where the spirit takes hold of Balaam and transport, transports him backwards to an ancient time into a garden. And forward to another time, which shall be also in a garden, starting at verse 2. And Balaam lifted up his eyes, and he saw Israel abiding in his tents, according to their tribes. And the Spirit of God came upon him, and he took up this parable, and said, Balaam the son of Beor hath said, and the man whose eyes are open hath said, he hath said, which heard the words of God, which saw the vision of the Almighty falling into a trance, but having his eyes open. How goodly are thy tents, O Jacob, and thy tabernacles, O Israel! As the valleys are they spread forth, as gardens by the river side, as the trees of lion aloes which the Lord hath planted, and as cedar trees beside the waters. So here God causes Balaam's eyes to be opened up. And as Balaam is looking at Israel, abiding in their tents, according to their tribes, he doesn't see it as an encampment. But instead, he looks at this very organized encampment of Israel, and in verse 6, he sees it as the valleys are they spread forth, as gardens by the riverside, as trees of lion aloes which the Lord hath planted, and as cedar trees beside the waters. 
he sees them as a garden. It's a picture of a garden. Instead of this encampment, he sees a garden because God's opened his eyes to see that. God's purpose started in a garden. And God's purpose is going to end in a garden. I'll just read for you from Revelation chapter 22, verse 1 to 4. Revelation chapter 22. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and on the other side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. And verse 14, blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life. Ephraim was in that picture, the tribe on the west. Ephraim was one of the tribes that made up that encampment. And if we manifest the characteristics of the ox, we too can be part of that picture, that garden. Now we learn some very practical lessons from the ox in scripture. We learn from 1 Corinthians chapter 9 that these practical lessons of the ox are for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 says, 1 Corinthians 9 verse 9 to 10, For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen? Or saith he it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope, and that he that thrasheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. We need to focus our service towards the things of the truth. Plowing like that ox. Plowing in hope that we might be partakers of that hope. 1 Timothy chapter 5 is another one. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17 and 18. Let the elders that rule well be counted of double sorry be counted worthy of double honor especially they who labor in the word and doctrine for the scripture saith thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn and the laborer is worthy of his reward so there's the ox again this characteristic of the ox again found here in 1 Timothy 5 verse 17 and 18 associated with labor, laboring in the word, treading out the corn. And he's described as worthy of his reward. 
1 Corinthians 3 verse 9 says, For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. We're God's farm. Just come with me to Deuteronomy chapter 22. Uh, you should keep your hand somewhere near 1 Corinthians as well. Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 10, tells us, Thou shalt not plow with an ox and an ass together. Why not? Well, because you want to go straight when you plow. If you have two different animals, the one wants to go one way, and the other wants to go the other way, the opposite way. Either that or the one doesn't even want to move at all. And so the one animal ends up dragging the other. It just doesn't work. So what's the lesson? Well, if you come with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Here's the spiritual lesson. Thou shalt not plow with an ox and an ass together. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 14, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? Now that is very clear. Look what being unequally yoked is compared with. Light and darkness. Two complete opposites. Righteousness and unrighteousness. Either you're a believer or an unbeliever. Don't yoke yourself together with an unbeliever. It doesn't work. You'll never plow in a straight line. And you certainly won't be plowing in hope and laboring in the truth. And so the warning is there for us, brothers and sisters. Be ye not unequally yoked with unbelievers. There's so many good characteristics we can learn from the, the ox. Well, brothers and sisters, we need to manifest these characteristics of the ox. Willing to serve. Labor in hope. Labor in the word. Be laborers together with God. Serve with sacrifice. Be consumed in the things of the truth. Just like Ephraim was one of the tribes that made up that encampment, that little cameo of the kingdom, if we manifest the characteristics of the ox, we too can be part of that same picture, that garden. The garden that we read about in Revelation. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life. Mm -hmm.